Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash get100 and use code get100. That's code get100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This is the American Veteran Show. Proud to finally say these two words. Welcome home. Dedicated to those who have worn the uniform. Tremendous national asset. Dedicated to our active duty men and women. They came not as conquerors, but as liberators. Dedicated to presenting issues, topics, and interviews highlighting their commitment to our country. I want to thank the courageous men and women who have served their country in uniform. Less than 1% population of our country chooses to serve our country in the military and the other 99% of us we owe them online at americanveteranshow.com here's Stephen Tubbs Welcome to our Season 6 premiere of the American Veteran Show. i got to tell you, I am extremely proud of this program, not only for today and our new season beginning, but of course for every single episode that we have done now into our sixth season. Producer Matt Steinkruger, I'm Stefan Tubbs. Thank you so much for joining us on a special day. And because the Super Bowl is in one week, we expect you to be in full American Veteran Show mode. And we've got so much to talk about. Coming up uh, basically through segments two, three, and four, we will talk about Munich in 1938 as we kick off season six. So stay with us. It'll all make sense. And is there from... Neville Chamberlain in the 30s into the early 40s. Of course, he passes away. World War II is underway. Are there any comparisons to what's going on right now between Russia, Ukraine, NATO, and the United States? We'll have more on that, and you can be the judge for yourself. We could not do programs like this without our presenting sponsor, Attorney John Boson, who has been with us almost from the beginning. It's BosonLaw.com, B-O-E-S-E-N Law, BosonLaw.com, fighting on behalf of veterans every single day. Their number, 303-999-9999. Coming up, though, in this first segment, as of record time, we'll give you the very latest on not only an ISIS strike with U.S. Special Forces in Syria, but also a little bit of a primer from the Washington Post on what is going on between Russia and and Ukraine. Glad you are with us as we kick off our season six premiere. President Biden had been getting regular updates on the mission. This operation was literally months in the planning. And the military knew all along Abu Ibrahim al-Hashimi al-Qureshi might blow himself up. Pentagon spokesman John Kirby. We were able to identify his body through fingerprints and DNA analysis. His body was left at the site. Kirby wouldn't say what intelligence might have been gathered there. It's common practice when we conduct raids of this kind to try to collect information 
and material that might help us. Kirby said the objective was to finish his leadership of ISIS. CBS News Pentagon correspondent Cammie McCormick. From earlier this past week, the president speaking hours after the event. Last night, operating on my orders, the United States military forces successfully moved a major terrorist threat to the world, the global leader of ISIS, known as Haji Abdullah. He took over as leader of ISIS in uh, 2019 after the United States counterterrorism operation killed al-Baghdadi. Since then, ISIS has directed terrorist operations targeting Americans, our allies, and our partners, and countless civilians in the Middle East, Africa, and in South Asia. Our team is still compiling the report, but we do know that as our troops approach to capture the terrorists, in a final act of desperate cowardness, he, with no regard to the lives of his own family or others in the building, he chose to blow himself up, not just to the vest, but to blow up that third floor rather than face justice for the crimes he has committed. President Biden from late last week. More on the mission itself involving U.S. Special Forces from ABC News. What we are told is that U.S. Special for operating, uh, Operations Forces flew from bases in eastern Syria all the way across Syria to the, the northwestern uh, stretches of the country, right, literally right on the border with Turkey, and then um, landed and the forces encircled this compound that where al Qureshi had been located. Um, they encircled it. They came out with bullhorns. They urged al-Qureshi to come out because they knew there were civilians inside. They knew that he had surrounded himself with his family and that several of his deputies, two of them, had their families there as well. They wanted to avoid civilian casualties. This was a decision that President Biden decided was more appropriate to go with ground forces to minimize civilian casualties rather than attempting a drone strike or an airstrike which could have taken out civilians um, as collateral damage. When they very early in on the ground operation, uh, we are told that al-Qureshi detonated an explosive on the third floor of this residential building and that then that blast jettisoned them, the, himself and the bodies of his wife and his two children out onto the surrounding area. At that point, the U.S. forces came on in and encountered ground fire from uh, one of the deputies and his wife. Um, that led to further casualties. But the U.S. says that they were able to save at least 10 civilians, um, who, women and children, who were in the first floor because they took that action of trying to get that bullhorn. Uh, later, a vehicle arrived with several ISIS fighters, and they were taken out by an Apache helicopter. They say that al-Qureshi was much more involved in the operational planning than his predecessor, al-Baghdadi, who was taken out in a very similar raid in western Syria. They say that he had his hands involved in a lot of operations, both inside Syria and out and in Iraq, where ISIS may have been defeated on the battlefield two years ago, but they remain a low-level insurgency. And particularly, say he had his hands in that uh, prison break attempt uh, from two weeks ago in eastern Syria in Hasaka. Um, they say that he was very involved in that, and so they considered him to be a very serious threat. And while uh, ISIS is no longer the threat it was seven years ago, it still remains something that is of concern to the U.S. And the concern now is who is going to step into his shoes? What kind of operations is that individual going to plan? ABC News Pentagon reporter and correspondent Louis Martinez will continue to follow that story in the days ahead. Now,
now to Ukraine, where really there has not been a major development really publicly in the last several days, if not longer. But for a primer on exactly why we're so concerned about what's going on between Russia and Ukraine, this from The Washington Post. There is a lot of history between Ukraine and Russia. They were both part of the Soviet Union, and many Russians still view Ukraine as sort of the cradle of Russian civilization. A key beginning point of this conflict was in 2013, over the former president Yanukovych's decision to sign an association agreement with the European Union. When he decided to lean towards Russia instead, a massive political uprising happened, and he ended up being ousted that made Russia extremely upset and it precipitated a Russian invasion of Crimea. And as Ukraine has charted its own independent course, it has grown increasingly tense with Russia, especially the idea that Ukraine would be a Western-oriented country, separate and distinct and sovereign from the Kremlin. And this is what has led us to the point we're in right now, where we're seeing tens of thousands of Russian troops surrounding Ukraine, which has led to this political crisis where you have Americans, Europeans, Russians meeting and trying to quell what many people believe is a imminent Russian invasion. An important development that happened on Wednesday was the United States sent written proposals to Russia in response to its demands. The reality is both the United States and Russia are very far apart at the negotiating table. The real question is if some sort of diplomatic solution can be cut. People have proposed the idea of the United States saying that Ukraine and Georgia will never become NATO members in the next 25 years, while others said you cannot submit to Putin's demands. If you concede now, you'll have to concede in the future. That from the Washington Post. We are underway. Our season six premiere here on the American Veteran Show. The rest of the program, we dedicate it to what happened in Munich, a meeting between the Prime Minister of England, Sir Neville Chamberlain, and Adolf Hitler. In Munich, 1938, there were mistakes made. We'll have more on that as we dedicate the rest of the show to that historic meeting. And it was an unfortunate one in the end. Staff and Tubbs with you. We are underway. The American Veteran Show Season 6, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Veteran Show. Here's Stefan Tubbs. So glad you're with us on this season six premiere of the American Veteran Show. And the rest of the program is dedicated to something that happened in September of 1938. The meeting with British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain and other leaders, including Adolf Hitler in Munich, Germany. Again, September 1938. The reason why this is important to me is, and it could be important to you if you're interested in this type of uh, historical event, is right now, and it's on Netflix, there is a film called Munich, Edge of War. 
Before we set up the rest of the program, here's the trailer. I believe the name Paul von Hartmann is known to you. Yes, sir. We were at Oxford together. He has a document in his possession. We'd like you to go to Munich tomorrow and get the document. be an act of espionage on foreign soil. Men and women of Britain and the Empire. As long as war is not begun, there is always hope. Really good to see you again. What will you do for me? Wir sind die letzte Hoffnung, um Hitler zu stoppen. Das ist ein wahrer Plan für Europa. Hitler ist lying, wenn er claims to want peace. People will suffer. That document is the proof. Wollen wir uns? you for even thinking about it. Come say here. with a gangster without having some cards up on sleeve. Again, the trailer from the film Munich, Edge of War. And I've got to tell you, I didn't know a lot about the meeting in Munich in 38. And one of the reasons why I think it's very appropriate to discuss and, and certainly think about is, in a nutshell, Neville Chamberlain went to Munich and many urged him not to sign this agreement with Adolf Hitler and Germany. This was, again, 1938. Many people on the sidelines, so to speak, they thought that there was going to most certainly be a problem because what this basically allowed Germany to do was to invade the then Czechoslovakia. And many people, again, advisors and so forth, and though many people supported what Neville Chamberlain eventually did, and that was to sign this agreement, many thought, hold on a minute. Many were telling the British officials that Adolf Hitler is a madman, and he has much bigger plans for Europe than just Czechoslovakia. Well, there was contemplation, and Neville Chamberlain obviously eventually still signed the agreement remember he felt that basically you know we don't want to get involved as the united kingdom we don't want to get involved with these faraway lands we'll have more on uh, neville chamberlain and addressing not only the british empire but it was broadcast here in the united states and uh, across europe as he was going into this meeting but i i i really wanted to bring this up this week as a topic for the rest of the program 
not just because it's our season six premiere, but because of what is going on right now between Russia and Ukraine, I'm not trying to make a stretch to say, look, this is exactly, you know, part and parcel with each other, though almost a hundred years later. But it makes you think, doesn't it? What Neville Chamberlain did not see and failed to see Adolf Hitler as eventually the madman and 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 the the murderous tyrannical leader that he was if we don't get involved in this as the united states right now between russia and ukraine which uh, your host here i do not want any more u.s troops i don't want any more war but it's very interesting i hope you can see possibly that parallel drawing between what's going on currently thousands and thousands of miles away with what happened in 1938 Uh, This from the BBC and kind of touting the meeting in Munich. I want to say that the settlement of the Czechoslovakian problem, which has now been achieved, is, in my view, only the prelude to a larger settlement in which all Europe may find peace. This morning, I had another talk with the German Chancellor, Herr Hitler. And here is the paper which bears his name upon it as well as mine. Some of you perhaps have already heard what it contains, but I would just like to read it to you. We. We regard the agreement signed last night and the Anglo-German naval agreement as symbolic of the desire of our two peoples never to go to war with one another again. We are resolved that the method of consultation shall be the method adopted to deal with any other questions that may concern our two countries and we are determined to continue our efforts to remove possible sources of difference and thus to contribute to assure the peace of Europe. From Heston, a triumphal progress as Mr. Chamberlain drives to report immediately to His Majesty the King at Buckingham Palace. That from the BBC, again, if you've listened to this program, again, on this season six premiere, we hope you've been with us for every single episode, but we love using the old newsreel footage. Coming up in our next segment, you will hear the address that Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain delivered just ahead of his visit to Munich in September of 1938. We'll have that next. And appropriately, we want to thank all of you veterans We honor you. We do this program every week because of you and, of course, our active duty. It's Kate Smith. To the break, this is the American Veteran Show, Season 6 premiere. with Paul. 
to the American Veteran Show. We continue now with Stephan Tubbs. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much, especially on a day like today, our Season 6 premiere. Happy you are with us. And the rest of the program and last segment as well, we are focusing on what happened in September of 1938. We mentioned the movie that's out right now on Netflix. You can see it, Munich, Edge of War. I watched it within the last uh, week or so, and I started to want to get more information. Now, what you're about to hear, this is then Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain addressing the world via the BBC, talking about his upcoming meeting in Munich with leaders, including Adolf Hitler. You can almost hear the dread in his voice. Tomorrow, Parliament is going to meet. And I shall be making a full statement of the events which have led up to the present anxious and critical situation. An earlier statement would not have been possible when I was flying backwards and forwards across Europe and the position was changing from hour to hour. But today there is a lull for a brief time and I want to say a few words to you men and women of Britain and the Empire, and perhaps to others as well. And first of all, I must say something to those who have written to my wife or myself in these last weeks to tell us of their gratitude for my efforts and to assure us of their prayers for my success. Most of these letters have come from women, mothers or sisters of our own countrymen. But there are countless others besides, from France, from Belgium, from Italy, even from Germany. And it has been heartbreaking to read of the growing anxiety they reveal and their intense relief when they thought too soon that the danger of war was past. If I felt my responsibility heavy before, to read such letters has made it seem almost overwhelming. How horrible, fantastic, incredible it is that we should be digging trenches and trying on gas masks here because of a quarrel in a faraway country between people of whom we know nothing. It seems still more impossible that a quarrel which is already settled in principle should be the subject of war. I can well understand the reasons why the Czech government have felt unable to accept the terms which have been put before them in the German memorandum. Yet I believe, after my talks with Herr Hitler, that if only time were allowed it ought to be possible for the arrangements for transferring the territory that the Czech government has agreed to give to Germany to be settled by agreement under conditions which would ensure fair treatment for the population concerned. You know already that I have done all that one man can do to compose this quarrel. After my visits to Germany, I realized vividly how Herr Hitler feels that he must champion other Germans 
and his indignation that grievances have not been met before this. He told me privately, and last night he repeated publicly, that after this Sudeten German question is settled, that is the end of Germany's territorial claims in Europe. After my first visit to Berchtesgaden, I did get the assent of the Czech government to proposals which gave the substance of what Herr Hitler wanted. And I was taken completely by surprise when I got back to Germany and found that he insisted that the territory should be handed over to him immediately. And immediately occupied by German troops without previous arrangements for safeguarding the people within the territory who were not Germans or who did not want to join the German Reich. I must say that I find this attitude unreasonable. If it arises out of any doubts that Herr Hitler feels about the intentions of the Czech government to carry out their promises and hand over the territory, I've offered on the part of the British government to guarantee their words. And I'm sure the value of our promise will not be underrated anywhere. I shall not give up the hope of a peaceful solution or abandon my efforts for peace as long as any chance for peace remains. I would not hesitate to pay even a third visit to Germany if I thought it would do any good. But at this moment, I see nothing further that I can usefully do in the way of mediation. Meanwhile, there are certain things that we can and should do at home. Volunteers are still wanted for air raid precautions, for fire brigade and police services, and for the territorial units. I know that all of you men and women alike are ready to play your part in the defense of the country, and I ask you to offer your services, if you have not already done so, to the local authorities who will tell you if you are wanted and in what capacity. Don't be alarmed if you hear of men being called up to man anti-aircraft defenses or ships. These are only precautionary measures such as a government must take in times like this, but they do not necessarily mean that we have determined on war or that war is imminent. However much we may sympathize with a small nation confronted by a big and powerful neighbor, we cannot, in all circumstances, undertake to involve the whole British Empire in war simply on her account. If we have to fight, it must be on larger issues than that. I am myself a man of peace to the depths of my soul. Armed conflict between nations is a nightmare to me. But if I were convinced that any nation had made up its mind to dominate the world by fear of its force, I should feel that it must be resisted. Under such a domination, life for people who believe in liberty would not be worth living. 
But war is a fearful thing. And we must be very clear before we embark on it that it is really the great issues that are at stake and that the call to risk everything in their defense when all the consequences are weighed is irresistible. For the present, I ask you to wait as calmly as you can for the events of the next few days. As long as war has not begun, it is always hoped that it may be prevented. And you know that I am going to work for peace to the last moment. That from the BBC, September 27, 1938, just a few days before Neville Chamberlain would actually sign the agreement in Munich with Adolf Hitler. You can say it's a stretch. I personally don't think it is. They tried to make sure they were screaming from their own mountaintops. There's a problem here. Hitler is a problem to the world. And as Neville Chamberlain said, and of course, he was mistaken. He referred to what was going on in the fall of 1938 as a quarrel in a faraway country between people of whom we know nothing. Close quote. We know he would end up being wrong. Are there any connections between what's going on in Russia and Ukraine with maybe some historical perspective? Neville Chamberlain would die just uh, not too many months later. He had been ill. We'll continue one more segment on Munich, 1938. Glad you're with us on this season premiere, season six of the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. is the American Veteran Show, online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephan Tubbs. Final segment of our Season 6 premiere, and again, we thank so much you for listening. We thank John Boson, our presenting sponsor, BosonLaw.com, fighting on behalf of veterans every day. Their number, 303-999-9999. The last couple of segments, we have focused on Neville Chamberlain, the Prime Minister of England in uh, September of 1938, going to Munich. This whole kind of last three segments inspired when i watched a a film recently in fact within the last week or so it's called munich edge of war and it is a really good film um the one of the lead actors is in one of the great films on world war one just from a couple of years ago and peter jackson 1917 so you'll see uh, some familiar cast members but it got me to thinking as uh, we were preparing for the show this week What's going on with Russia and Ukraine? Can you really overlook it? Is it possible that there are parallels between Neville Chamberlain going to Munich and eventually signing an agreement, thinking he was going to keep the United Kingdom out of war, when in fact some of the warning signs were missed, and it would turn out that Hitler had many more plans, obviously, than just invading Czechoslovakia and spreading uh, land, if you will, for, for Germany. So... He has the meeting. Last segment, you heard the the 
speech that he gave to the empire, uh, it was heard in the United States and across Europe, um, this is how the BBC described it post-meeting. So our Prime Minister has come back from his third and greatest journey, and he said that the settlement of the Czechoslovakian problem, which has now been achieved, is, in my view, only the prelude to a larger settlement in which all Europe may find peace. This morning, I had another talk with the German Chancellor, Herr Hitler. And here is the paper which bears his name upon it as well as mine. Some of you perhaps have already heard what it contains, but I would just like to read it to you. We, the German Führer and Chancellor, and the British Prime Minister, have had a further meeting today and are agreed in recognizing that the question of Anglo-German relations is of the first importance for the two countries and for Europe. We regard the agreement signed last night and the Anglo-German naval agreement as symbolic of the desire of our two peoples never to go to war with one another again. We are resolved that the method of consultation shall be the method adopted to deal with any other questions that may concern our two countries and we are determined to continue our efforts to remove possible sources of difference and thus to contribute to assure the peace of Europe. No sign of British reserve as the crowds fought to get near the Premier's car. Again, from the BBC. And we wrap up this uh, program today with a little bit of a, a history lesson on what happened in Munich, the Munich Agreement, September of 1938. This from the Council on Foreign Relations. Our topic today is the Munich Agreement, which was signed by the leaders of Germany, Italy, Britain, and France in the early morning hours of September 30th, 1938. The backdrop to the Munich Agreement is Adolf Hitler's rise to power in Germany's remilitarization. Hitler was elected Chancellor of Germany in 1933. A year later, he made himself a dictator or Fuhrer and ushered in the Third Reich. Hitler moved aggressively to jumpstart a foundering German economy and to jettison the constraints that had been imposed on the German military after World War I. European leaders nervously looked the other way as he ran roughshod over the security provisions of the Treaty of Versailles and reasserted German power in Central Europe. One goal of Hitler's policies was to create Lebensraum, or greater living space, for Germans. The belief that Germany needed expanded borders included the idea that ethnic Germans living in neighboring countries should come under German rule. In March 1938, Germany absorbed Austria in the Anschluss. Hitler then turned his attention to the Sudetenland, those parts of Czechoslovakia where some three million ethnic Germans predominated. Hitler grew increasingly hostile to Czechoslovakia over the course of the summer of 1938. In mid-September, he gave a fiery anti-Czech speech, raising fears that war was imminent. 
British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain responded by rushing to Germany for talks to keep the continent at peace. On October 1, 1938, Czechoslovakian frontier guards left their posts and German troops moved into the Sudetenland. The day before, Chamberlain had flown back to London where he was met by cheering crowds. He waved a memo Hitler had signed pledging Germany's peaceful intentions and told the crowd that he had brought peace for our time. This morning, I had another talk with the German Chancellor, Herr Hitler. And here is the paper which bears his name upon it as well as mine. Some of you perhaps have already heard what it contains, but I would just like to read it to you. We regard the agreement signed last night and the Anglo-German naval agreement as symbolic of the desire of our two peoples never to go to war with one another again. Not all of Chamberlain's fellow Britons believed that he had saved the day. Winston Churchill's response to what Chamberlain had wrought at Munich was withering. You were given the choice between war and dishonor. You chose dishonor, and you will have war. As we all know, Churchill was right. Eleven months after the Munich Agreement was signed to Cheers, German troops invaded Poland. The Second World War had begun. The terms Munich and appeasement entered the diplomatic hall of shame. What is the lesson of the Munich Agreement? Just this. Appeasing an adversary's demands may diffuse a crisis, but it can also increase the chances of war by emboldening that adversary to demand more. Chamberlain thought that if Germany gained the Sudetenland, that Hitler would finally be satisfied with the status quo in Europe. But Hitler instead viewed Munich as confirming his belief that Britain and France both lacked the will to stop German expansion. It is worth remembering the Munich Agreement as we survey potential threats around the globe today. China is a growing military power that is challenging the territorial claims of its neighbors in Northeast and Southeast Asia. Iran seeks to become a nuclear power, a development that could upend the geopolitical order in the Middle East. In these and other instances, the United States must weigh the risk that diplomacy and compromise will signal weakness and invite war against the risk that standing firm will poison relations and trigger conflicts that could have been avoided. Unfortunately, which of these risks is greater is usually far clearer when looking backward in history than when looking forward into the future. So here's a question to consider. On what issue or conflict is the United States most likely to repeat Neville Chamberlain's mistake? That from the Council on Foreign Relations. And the last few segments, we have focused on September of 1938, the Munich Agreement. Again, I highly recommend catching it online, Munich, Edge of War. Uh, done within the last couple of years. And the reason why I wanted to, as we start Season 6, put this out there to just at least for all of us to think about is right now I don't want war. I don't want any U.S. I don't want one member of our U.S. military stepping foot in Ukraine. Maybe many of you agree. But at the same time, are we overlooking some important stuff? And may history be our guide? Again, Neville Chamberlain, when he was prime minister, September 1938, he certainly did not see Hitler as Hitler would eventually be. So thank you for joining us, our season six premiere, our wonderful producer, Matt Steinkruger. Thank you for any time you give us. Tell a friend and visit our website, AmericanVeteranShow.com. 
I'm Stephen Tubbs. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. And remember our troops. The American Veterans Show is a copyrighted production of Mountain Time Media Group, LLC. All rights reserved. For more information, visit AmericanVeteranShow.com. Join us next week for another edition of The American Veteran Show. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. I'm Margot Robbie, and I play Barbie. And I'm Ryan Gosling, and I play Ken. Max is now the exclusive streaming home of Barbie. So cool. And the Max with Ads plan is included with your Cricket $60 Unlimited plan at no additional cost. Log in with your Cricket username and password to experience Max on all your favorite devices. This is the best day ever. It is the best day ever. Don't miss Barbie, now streaming on Max. Phone plan streams in standard definition. Programming subject to change. These terms and restrictions apply. See CricketWireless.com for details.